grace and peace be with you from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, we're going to do something that I haven't done in several months. Um, partially because of all the moves and partially because uh, several of the Sundays where we didn't have communion, we had other things going on. But we don't have communion today, and, well, that gives me a little bit of extra time, so I get to preach longer. Uh, but it also means that if you have a Bible with you, feel free to open it up. Uh, we're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, if you have a Bible app, you can open it up on your phone. Um, I know it looks weird whenever you're on your phone at church, but trust me, it's okay if you're on your Bible. Um, but anyway, uh, I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Chris, you read Luke 16, not Luke 15. Well, I'm doing this to set the stage. I'm doing this because in order to understand the text that stands before us today, you have to understand a little bit of the context. And the context isn't chapter 16, verse 1, but in fact, chapter 15, verse 1. And here's what I mean by that. And again, uh, give you a second to kind of open up your, your Bibles, whether it be your, your physical Bible, paper Bible, or an app. We're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Uh, we're starting at the very, very first verse. And here we go, right here. The tax collectors and the sinners. See, that's important. Because we're setting the stage and we're asking the question, who is Jesus talking to? Who is Jesus talking to? And we know right here it tells us that, in fact, it is the tax collectors and the sinners that were drawing near to hear him. Now, there's another part to that, though, isn't there? The Pharisees and the scribes were also there. So we know right now that Jesus is talking to sinners and tax collectors. Now remember, tax collectors were kind of, if you had made a public sin, if you had done something so wrong that you were ostracized by society, tax collectors about the best job you could get. Which meant it was still kind of on the bottom of the barrel. Sinners were, were in professions, or maybe, maybe professions themselves caused them to sin, or maybe they were just public sinners that had had other jobs, but they were, they were ostracized from society in some capacity. But the Pharisees and the scribes, well, they were a different story. The Pharisees controlled the temple. They controlled worship life. And so they were kind of the holier than holy and this is who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the tax collectors and the sinners, and he's also talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. And so when we get to our parable, we know that he is talking to these two people. But it's important to set the stage here because this isn't our parable that we have this morning. Is not the parable that Jesus tells us first. So what does he tell us first? Well, the one he tells us first starts like this. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? We probably know that parable. We probably heard it before. And I believe a couple months ago, I actually brought it up that this parable is odd. This parable is odd. The reason it's odd is because of the way it ends. We know that he had 99 sheep. We know that he went to find the one. And then the parable tells us that he had a party. 
to celebrate that he had found the one sheep. The irony is, is that, well, he didn't have anything to give people at the party, so he probably cooked up what he had. A sheep. So he lost a sheep, he found it, and then he rejoiced it by slaughtering one of the sheep to have a party. You can see why this might be a little odd. And then we go to the next parable. That's right, he has another parable. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Now again, this parable too is a little odd. Why? Because what does she do when she finds the coin? She throws a party. And anybody who's ever thrown a party knows that if you're the host of a party, it costs money. You have to buy things. You have to get things. You have to have things ready to go. Probably cost her about the equivalent of at least one, if not two silver coins to have a party. What Jesus is talking about here is the, dare I say, the weirdness of the kingdom of God. That if you were to add a value to things you would find that the kingdom of heaven rejoices to a value that is greater than what has been won. That is the value that God places on a sinner that repents. That if a sinner repents, there is rejoicing in heaven. And if you were to look at that rejoicing, you might find yourself saying, well, that's worth more than the actual sinner repenting. But you see, that's the way God sees things. He does things differently than what we might expect. But the turning point of all of these parables happens in the next one. And there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of your property that is coming to me. He asked his father if he wouldn't just die early. He wants his inheritance as if his father was dead. We know this one is sometimes called the the, the parable of the prodigal son. Why? Because the son comes back. And there's a huge party. Right? Just like the other two parables. But there is a turning point in this parable. And it is something that we should take notice of. The younger son. The one that stays with his dad. The one that is, is good. Right? Does all the righteous things. At the end of the parable, what does he do? He stands outside, and he basically makes his father come to him. From a cultural standpoint, this is almost worse than what this one is doing, what the other brother is doing. It was absolutely insulting to you to treat your father like he was your servant, to make him to come outside to talk to you. It was considered of the utmost insult. And the reason this is important is because whenever we get to this parable, we realize that Jesus is talking not just to the tax collectors and sinners and talking about the greatness of the repentance, but he's also talking about how those that are considered righteous might not be as righteous as they think they are. And that's an integral part of this because this makes the context for which we are going to find our parable today. It's going to form the context of which brings to light what Jesus is talking about in our text, which starts in chapter 16, verse 1. And so I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it for after this next song. God's peace.
Grace to you and peace from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We all have that text, don't we? That text that strikes fear into our hearts. Of course, we all have that text that we find difficult to understand, difficult to to interpret, to understand in our own personal lives. And even as we got to the parable today, my guess is we probably found ourselves at least a little bit going, what does this even mean? How do we make this work? How do we talk about this person who gains from unrighteous wealth, this, this parable about a manager who finds himself in a pickle, who's about to get fired, and who then goes and does something that's really quite dishonest. He cuts all their bills, either in half or in a quarter or however he cuts it, just to make sure that he has friends for himself. And then part of the problem comes later, right? Verse 8, verse 8 and 9, where it almost appears that Jesus is saying, hey, earn this through unrighteous wealth. It's almost like he commends this. This, is, this parable is sometimes called the parable of the shrewd manager or the unrighteous manager. And we have those words of Jesus. Make friends for yourself by unrighteous wealth. It's the kind of text that gives you goosebumps. We just don't know what to do with it. How do we handle it? As I said earlier in the earlier part, a lot of this comes from context. And I, again, direct you to context. This is not one parable that's on an island, but it, in fact, it is the fourth parable. It is the last parable in a string of parables that Jesus tells, each one getting slightly weirder and weirder and weirder until you get to this one. But even in this, notice that Jesus turns to his disciples. He has been talking to the tax collectors. He has been talking to the sinners and the Pharisees who think themselves so righteous, beginning to understand that Jesus is directing some of this toward them. He is calling them unrighteous. And as he does that, he begins to talk to his disciples. And so he tells them this parable. And we begin to understand that this is not directed. This is not directed explicitly towards the Pharisees or the tax collectors or sinners. But in fact, it is the disciples he is talking to and he is directing it towards what the Pharisees have done. Again, the Pharisees were the ones that were in control of the worship life. They were in control of the temple. And they had started to do things in an unrighteous manner. They had led people astray. And they had begun to do this almost in a sense to get more people on their side. So that they could uplift their own power, their own abilities. And so Jesus condemns their actions. But he also talks about how the kingdom of God is. How the kingdom of God, to us, strikes us as odd, as weird, as different. That the kingdom of God would rejoice with such a capacity whenever one sinner, just one sinner, repents. That is, they turn from their sin. Now this particular parable is one that, when we read it in a vacuum, and that's what we've kind of done this morning... But again, we've tried to kind of clear that up. It can strike us 
as odd, which is why I warned you about it, by the way, months and months ago. Uh, it was a few months ago. Actually, I think we were still in Good Shepherd. We had the parable. I believe it was the parable of the lost coin. And I said, hey, the later half of these is coming up, but it's not going to come up till August. Well, guess what? It's August. And so here we are with this complicated parable. But again, notice how it is. Jesus, and so we, we have a tendency to think that verses 8 and verses 9 are the capstone. It's not. It's actually verses 10 through 13. You see, as Jesus is talking, and he talks about this, he says, look, if you're going to be unrighteous, do what you can for your friends for this sake. But don't think that that means you're going to be good with the righteousness, with, with things on the other side. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this is one of the few times, I will say this, King James Version does get things right from time to time. And if you want to talk more about that, some people asked me about that after early service, and I had to, I had to talk about the King James Version of the Bible and where it's accurate and where it's somewhat in, inaccurate. But this is one of the times when King James actually gets it better than all the rest of the translations, in my opinion. See, we say God and money, God and money, but it's not God and money, it's God and mammon. It's like this, this idea of earthly things, earthly wealth, whatever that happens to look like, whether that's a bunch of material items or whether it's finances and money or whatever it happens to look at. You cannot serve God and earthly mammon. You cannot do it. You have to choose one or the other. And if you're going to choose the earthly things, then by all means, get all the friends you can through these earthly things, but nobody, don't... Don't think that by doing that you're somehow gaining heaven, because you're not. See, this is what the Pharisees were doing. They were trying to gain things by earthly means, by earthly things. And therefore, they were not seeking righteousness. You see, all the parables are talking about repentance. And the one that stands before us is no different. It is calling on them to repent. Now again, you've got to understand the technical definition of repent. It does not mean just to feel sorry for your sins, but in fact to turn. To turn from this idea of earthly wealth and turn to God. Now when we say it like that, we can understand the practicality of our own lives and in our own worlds. Because we as Christians are given the same call. Are you going to try to seek things through earthly means? Or are you going to turn and let God be God? Which would be righteousness. Which one is it? Which one are you going to do? Which one are you going to be? Now, yes, your walk, whenever you walk in faith, is through the power of the Holy Spirit... But the Holy Spirit is also the one that calls you to repentance. So which one is it going to be? What's going to be your walk? How are you going to walk? That's not saying that we're going to do things perfectly. I understand that, that we're going to stumble from time to time. That we're going to trip and fall over ourselves. We're going to have times whenever, for whatever reason, mammon takes center stage. But that's not the question. The question is, are you going to repent 
Are you going to turn to God through the working of the Holy Spirit? Or are you going to continue seeking only mammon? Which is it? Because you cannot serve both. You can only serve one. And that's the question that Jesus poses to the disciples. It's the, it's the question and the condemnation that Jesus, in a sense, poses to the Pharisees. And it's the question that, pose, that is being posed to us even today, even this morning. Are we going to seek mammon, the things of the world, or are we going to seek God? Yes, we know we can seek God only through the working of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is calling on us this morning. The Holy Spirit is working in us, even right now. Will we seek those things or will we repent? When we repent of our sin, we find ourselves forgiven through the sake of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that it is Him who has forgiven us of all of our sins, cleansed us through His very blood. We are made righteous, not by our own work, but through the very working of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yes, there is forgiveness. But it does become a question of what our walk is going to be. Are we going to walk in unrighteousness and embrace it? Or are we going to repent of our sins? For if we repent, there is much rejoicing in heaven. That all of heaven rejoices Huge, huge rejoicing. All for one sinner, even just one. Yes, our God calls us to repentance, to walk in a way of faith. And it's in that faith and in that repentance that our Lord gives to us forgiveness through His sake, through His Son, Jesus Christ. In His name, amen. And now may the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.